we spoke in the morning about the mystery of the divine descent the incarnation the mother reveals something very interesting about it that if in an individual the central will that works in the cosmos can be represented whoever and whatever links itself to that will it can directly reach out to the supreme and receive the result so it is something very interesting quite naturally all these things are mystery to us because we are like blind men who believe we can see so there is two kinds of seeing many kinds of seeing but primarily two kinds of seeing to put it to summarily an outward seeing and an inner seeing referring again to the avatar shirbindo reveals that the time when the avatar appears seems to the outward eye a crisis of events and circumstances but it is always inwardly a crisis in the consciousness of man so also one may say that the faith the eye of faith because this inner eye is sealed to us we see only outwardly events and circumstances and till this inner eye awakens it does awaken that's what yoga is meant for yoga is not an intellectual debate about what can be what cannot be i think in the morning shradhalu brought it out very well that it's darshan it's actually seeing that's how they call seers seers who saw the truth it's not uh, intellectuals who thought about it thinking is probably a first step it's good if the mind can be ready and is prepared but eventually one sees it but between our blindness and the seeing there is a phase a gap and that gap is bridged by faith but lest we have a misunderstanding about it the faith that is asked of is not merely a dogma it is a faith when for instance it is said that one has faith in shurbindo it is not faith like an article of dogma that it forever remains like a belief it is a faith if we look at it inwardly in our own highest and deepest possibility because that's what shurbindo represents to us when we have faith in shurbindo it means we have faith that man can be transformed and that's where we see how this inner seeing and the outer seeing the inner seeing changes the way we outwardly look at things we took couple of examples to the outer seeing freud reveals that man is a animal we have grown up reading that i don't know here but in india in my school i grew up reading that man is a social animal and i used to despise it the first thing that struck me is that i, I don't walk on force but nevertheless it was uh, something which made me feel very uncomfortable about myself that i am an animal after all well this is one kind of faith which is born out of an outward seeing but to inner seeing man is an unborn god that's an inner seeing this inner seeing gives a new sense and meaning to life a greater purpose to the outward seeing we see evolution but we see it as a play of random chance accidents 
and with only one single aim if aim there can be that it's basically a struggle for survival now when we take evolution from that standpoint much much of today's so called uh, rub of competition and the competitive world is a direct consequence of this kind of a belief that life is about basically a clash of circumstances and through it it's a struggle of survival struggle for existence so if that is the truth of life the flip side is that well that's the philosophy i must follow the consequences are very obvious but when we look at evolution from the inner standpoint when we look at it as an evolution of consciousness and forms have to adapt to the consciousness which is inside and one step further evolution is about consciousness itself creating new and new forms for its own inhabitation for its own manifestation then the whole stress of life changes what appeared to me as a struggle for existence and survival seems to me now to an inner eye a process of evolution all crisis becomes a pathway to change and not something like which is come to um, destroy me disintegrate me it's a challenge but this challenge is given to me so that i can change and pass through so the whole uh, life assumes a new meaning a greater significance when we look at it from the inner perspective in this context we can briefly touch also upon what we passingly mentioned because this is an important uh, point at least i believe it that we have our notions of divine omnipotence and divine omniscience so we believe god knows everything god can do everything there is nothing more that i have to do and the problem of that philosophy is just as we believe that everything is the expression of god's will that what about the bombings what about the terrorist strike as rightly you know you brought out everything is expression of god will and why should uh, you know there should be any kind of action required from anybody god is omnipotent god is omniscience so he should change us overnight but that's where we understand that he is chosen the conditions of the play and the condition of the play is matter and many many forces have gone into it and all these forces have to be adjusted accommodated adapted in the evolutionary process that's why there are uh, the whole evolutionary journey when we look at the grand culmination that shurbindo reveals to us well it's something fantastic but there are many steps and stages of the process many abortive attempts at evolution we do not know as morning we were saying that man himself is he really a scaffolding or god knows much of humanity may just be an abortive attempt we cling to it because quite naturally we look like humans and we have a tendency to cling to everything that looks like us just as well uh, everything clings to its own type there is a tendency in us to cling so much to humanity but humanity is itself a pathway towards something greater which is yet to come but the beauty of humanity the strength of humanity the significance of humanity is that unlike the animal type human humanity can collaborate cooperate in the process of its own evolution and all yoga seen from that perspective is a conscious evolution i can help the process collaborate in the process 
yoga is not done by man this is a big uh, one of those big misconceptions the gita speaks of yoga being done by divine and he has given the yoga first to the sun god so arjuna has sun god what do you mean yes i gave it to the sun god yoga is done by the divine and through this process of yoga he is carrying on this evolutionary journey he has yoked himself to creation and therefore creation is being pulled towards him he has yoked himself through the bridge of love thrown from the other end if there was this coupling was not there if the divine was not assuming forms even inwardly he has yoked himself for good and time to time he assumes a particular form and yokes himself literally to pull it upward higher towards those possibilities which are inherent in him we can take a number of example how again we go back to the favorite child and parent example how the parents yoke themselves to the child and the child despite all his failings difficulties uh, misunderstandings parents are with the child because that's how the child can grow they sometimes um, assume a role where they seem to know nothing when little babies play with uh, fathers chess a game of chess or even you know simple wrestling uh, many times uh, fathers act as if they are defeated they play at being at losing the game because if they straight away win the game the child would be totally disheartened he would just throw the board up so they start with that process the whole consciousness the whole form has to adapt the consciousness has to adapt and that is a slow 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 process we can take number of examples uh, way back because this example is so much relevant to our present situation we read of course in the life divine that what humanity is going through is a crisis uh, evolutionary crisis in which is concealed the choice of its destiny now way back we know that fishes were swimming and they were very happy and comfortable i'm sure in the sea i hope so till man came and started fishing in deep waters but bit among themselves they must be quite comfortable you know sharks have their own place and small fish everything sea looks after but the one consciousness had some other plans the fish must one day fly and fly in the jumbo jet now fish is not interested but the one consciousness is interested it wants one day that the fishes in america and the fishes in india must come and sit together and have an integral yoga retreat to the fish world is an anathema what integral yoga what retreat america india it doesn't live in that concept so what god does what that one consciousness does what the divine does he picks out one of those fishes which are you know not too comfortable in the sea and throws it on the land it's called a mud fish in scientific parlance evolutionary biologist speak about the mud fish mud fish is one of the most ungainly creatures it's neither actually neither a fish nor a creature of the land it ha- it still needs to breathe a little bit in water and it breathes also in the air it needs to be in water so to survive it survives on little puddles of water inside mud it's a small little thing 
and uh, if you look at it it looks as if it's gasping that's that's how you know one looks at it it's always restless because it's never comfortable it's the most uncomfortable creature and it would have wondered if it could ever pray to a, if it ever prayed to a super fish god oh cruel hand of the torturer what have you done to me taken away my kingdom and thrown me aside on the wayside at the mercy of all kinds of beasts and creatures i don't even know at least fish world i can relate with but what have you done to me what kind of form have you given to me the most ugly form fishes are so beautiful and rhythmic but this little mud fish is really quite a miserable thing so god would tell look dear mud fish you don't know you are spearheading an evolutionary journey <laughs> a uh, mud fish is not going to take that god would continue till one day the mud fish becomes the first step towards the ascent into manhood the whole life on earth that fish was the spearhead it is known the same transition during monkey to man it is not the fittest gorilla god did not take out sharks and whales and gave them a lecture look i am going to evolve into you into man they would say we are very comfortable please don't meddle with us we are very happy we are the lord of the seas so he picks out a little tiny fish who is uncomfortable here puts it into a worse predicament apparently to fulfill his grand design so also we see something very similar at the transition from ape to man the best apes did not evolve into man they were too comfortable but the one which is just a little below this evolutionary biologist would tell us he was ever uncomfortable when he would compare himself with his peer he is not very you know the topmost chimpanzee he is not that at the same time he is a queer creature restless not knowing where he should he cannot be this he cannot be that and that broke away from the evolutionary stability or broke the evolutionary stability and grew up towards manhood and again when we look at this evolutionary transition what was the method used by nature two things it did two things which may seem very awkward or rather one thing which seems very awkward as we know the monkeys can hold the branches and jump they can also twine their tail and even feel very proud about it so he rotated the thumb made it like this otherwise in animals we cannot rotate this was the first thing that happened divine knew that one day we are going to play computer games <laughs> and the remote so he prepared us when way way back million years back he just rotated the thumb and he knew that we will have better ways of expressing our beauty so took away that ungainly thing called tail which was the pride of the monkey world these two changes have changed the whole dynamics through which evolution will take place often people say that evolution is an unconscious it's just by random chance even doesn't take place like that but look at how nature works and the wisdom that works inside nature we spoke of this wisdom and there are so many examples of it now human beings had to stand erect this is the posture it's a symbolic posture they can look up 
unlike the animal which looks to the side and you know the kind of vision animal has very different human being stand up and the standing erect is itself a great symbol but when they stand erect there is a big problem and the problem is that during childbirth there would be a difficulty because animal creation because it's on the four the pelvis is designed in such a way that the female of a species when it gives birth to the little child there is no problem that's why animals nowadays of course there are veterinary specialist but you know they didn't know about cesarean section they didn't know about suction and all this and the animal world went off very well but with human beings because of these erect posture there is a problem the childbirth cannot take place like that if the full fledged child has to be born so look at the marvel and the intelligence which foresees so far ahead it um, human beings are the only babies in whom the brain is not fully developed and even the skull in which it is closed is open so it will expand the fontanelles as we have some of the doctors they are not closed they close by 2 years allowing time to expand so it allows the baby to pass through smoothly of course the pelvis is slightly broadened in the females so nature works with a tremendous wisdom it's as shubindu says its steps are sure it looks to us random but a purpose mingles in the flow of time behind this randomness there is a wisdom that is working often one wonders that if such be the wisdom then why ultimately errors take place why do you know genetic aberrations genetic errors take place and there are you know uh, malformed things and ultimately we know that death comes partly as a series of um, <coughs> so called genetic errors there are many many uh, reasons why death comes and one of them is that over a period of time errors begin to take place when the same uh, phenomena is replicated it's like carbon copying so it becomes fainter and fainter and the possibility of error is introduced now we call it error quite naturally we are we love ourselves so i call it error look nature has created errors and therefore it doesn't allow me to go beyond 80 years 85 years nature will say thank god <laughs> otherwise you will create chaos so we are trying nowadays through all these manipulations to prolong human life that's where we make a mistake that's where we come back to the great truth that no degree of technological manipulation can change man it can only augment our existing capacities but the change has to come through a change of consciousness if nature were to allow this change only by external manipulation it would be very dangerous it won't allow it imagine a whole group of humanity which is technologically very very advanced but inwardly is like a dwarf probably like the age of atlantis it would end up destroying everything else exterminating so nature doesn't allow it will find new ways and processes so what appears to us as waste and errors nature utilizes even that there is nothing which is uh, lacking in wisdom and yet this wisdom and this force must play with circumstances must play with the whole range of forces and that's where we see the play becomes very very interesting and fascinating we take another example in fact two examples of god's omnipotence and god's omniscience and how it relates to our everyday life 
the uh, at the level of uh, material one of the in a limited omnipotence that man has created is of course uh, computer based systems like our gps it knows all paths and can lead us through any route but what happens with this omniscience it's a, it's a practical omniscience in the field of uh, road maps on earth now it keeps telling us but there is another side of the story it can tell us but i can still overshoot i may not hear it so there is a leading and there is at the other end a receptivity i may be inattentive i may be looking here there elsewhere so i shoot so what does the omniscience does it says recalculating recalculating <laughs> so we take another route so after a while again till we finally realize that oh my god i need to good look i mean let me concentrate you have led me to a traffic jam so the omniscience has not led me to the traffic jam it's my lack of receptivity which has led me but even that sometimes can be wonderful sometimes good to lose the way in a sense that in oroville if you go you will realize that it's so difficult to reach out to any place because there are no clear markers and it's at the same time it's such a delight because you're just moving around you don't know where you are exactly going and it makes the whole journey so much more enriching at another level so even when we seem to stray and wander the recompenses that the experience is wider look how the whole universe is designed if you strain wander you widen your experience is wider and the realization is much more complex and enriching that's what the mother says at one place he says the shortest distance between two points is not necessarily a straight line so amazing it from the outward it looks because there are many sides to a nature many comple- complex uh, elements which constitute each demanding its own fulfillment and even straying is part of that grand purpose and process so we may wonder that if there is omniscience why did it not stop me well because i have to learn something and grow through it and through that process i become richer in my experience that's how it is of course it can be very painful if we are suddenly lost in a forest and we realize that we have navigated too far away and maybe the gas we have run out of gas it can be very very uncomfortable nevertheless there is a guidance which is leading us but we have to also from our end be receptive and open to the guidance so this is how omniscience works with relation to our being this omniscience takes into account all the randomness the errors and the accidents and keeps on recalculating 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 and putting us back on track and that's the beauty of this working equally we see god's omnipotence again we say if he is omnipotent why doesn't he immediately supramental force it is the force that can change everything it is there in creation why do we then have to take medicines why do we have to go in for surgeries and all this you know problems we can get rid of it in one stroke and many people um, unfortunately they rush into this yoga thinking that they are going to get some supramental power by which they are going to become supramentalized they will have glowing bodies and uh, you know the hairs will be of magnetic color 
parted seven times in the way and they would look really beautiful because what a glowing body would look like and they will have the power to modify everything some people who lose their mind on the way to yoga suddenly start believing that they are influencing the president of united states and they are influencing the prime minister of india well <laughs> they might as well look inside probably uh, things are not going right now how does this omnipotence work why doesn't it happen like that again we take a very material example we know that nuclear energy is very powerful it can light up a whole world it can blow up a whole civilization that is its power now there are two difficulties with that one if it falls into wrong hands most likely the world will be blown up and not lit up it's a great possibility the mother at one place speaks about it she has foreseen she says oh when human beings will grow into supermanhood i dread what conflict can take place what they can do to each other imagine with our little humanness what we do what we would do when we have not yet crossed that critical barrier but powers and possibilities of higher consciousness is developing inside us we hear stories in ancient mythologies about rishis and tapasvis how when vasisht and vishwamitra fight the fight is on another dimension altogether vishwamitra has a whole army and vasisht has only his cow and this holy cow it's of course uh, cow as the knowledge and the giver of all things he could generate armies which could go and decimate a whole army of uh, vishwamitra imagine if both sides there were equal such uh, great masters what would be the situation so the first thing is that this power this omnipotence cannot work unless there is purity inside us we have to be purified of egoism this idea that this can just be touched it's like touching a live wire with 1000 watts and equally even though nuclear energy can light up the whole world we have to lay down the lines we have to make the wiring perfect we cannot say it would be very naive if somebody said well solar energy can light up things so why not we suddenly invoke the sun and it will be lit up it doesn't work out panels have to be laid down conditions of the play have to be seen so the other end is that if the human body if the human consciousness is not prepared even though there is an omnipotence which is working our consciousness has to be prepared to receive it to express it and that makes the journey very very fascinating and very complex so all yoga in this sense is a collaboration in the evolutionary journey and how do i collaborate i make my consciousness more and more ready for the reception of the divine within me that is the whole process when it is said be quiet it is not like a teacher telling shut up it is because the quieter we are the more this consciousness can act this is one of the very fundamental things that if we are quiet uh, we can take a very simple example in fact uh, it's it's um, it's advised mother says in one of her simple one line sentences what is the use of uh, praying and asking for something if you are all the time full of doubts it's very interesting that not only we have to ask but we have to be full of trust that the wisdom knows and if it's denying us something 
it knows why it is denying. We are not ready. It is making us ready. Nevertheless, it's best to remain quiet and full of trust. It facilitates the process. But if you are full of doubts, full of agitation inside, oh, why don't you reveal to me? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Then we won't have the divine consciousness acting. We will have a genie from the bottle springing out and fulfilling our wishes. And we will think that we have God at our will. But it is nothing but some occult entity, usually a vital entity, which is playing with us and fooling us. The mother says that one of the common misconceptions people have is that when they wish something and it gets fulfilled, they think it is God's grace. Very often God's grace denies because it knows we are not ready. So what happens when there is a wish fulfillment? This wish fulfillment often takes place because there is concealed power of desire within us. And that itself is an energy which goes out. And if it's really, really strong it, and insistent, it will create conditions, circumstances and eventually get some kind of a sanction and what we have desired comes back to us. But it is not necessarily that it is the divine who is doing this for us. So this play is a very, very interesting play where many forces have to be taken into account through which the evolutionary journey takes place. And man in this vision, as we have seen, is, well, laboratory is a word, but he is the field for the play of all these forces through which something is being worked out. Shobindo says that animal was the laboratory in which and through which nature worked out man. Man may well be and is a living laboratory through which nature intends to work out the superman. And how does it work? Almost fundamentals of the evolutionary process are the same. What is the fundamentals? Every evolutionary leap we see is through two processes. One is that which was the strength that is taken away, which was the strength of a previous specie. We'll, we'll see this with an example or a number of examples. And a new possibility takes a seed form inside us. Now we see the examples of evolutionary leaps in history. The first example when there is a transition from sea to land. So gills and fins are taken away. That is what fishes are best at. The mudfish is born but slowly, by taking away that possibility of the gill and the fish, there is a possibility of crawling on the ground. And these creatures which crawl, they have thousand legs, some of them. And therefore, they can crawl so beautifully with such a finish. Now, when that possibility is taken away, all the legs are broken or taken away, it can fly. Something new begins to emerge. When the wings are clipped, we can run on the plains with a greater gusto, a greater life energy. And when that greater life energy is taken away, then mind appears in man. The very appearance of mind is at the expense of the life energy. And that's why the more intellectually a human being develops, the more he tends to, it's unfortunate, but he tends to have a poor vitality. Very often even sometimes a sickly body because in fact people say don't be a bookworm, you'll have a problem. It's true. The same life energy 
in the animal there is the life energy and matter there is a perfect adaptation but in human beings a new possibility appears and that life energy has to feed it and it feeds it at the expense of the physical consciousness so a new adaptation new equilibrium has to take place and in the process many new kinds of illnesses appear it's it's amazing because nature has to take this risk there is no other way it can take this leap the moment the mind appears and the more people focus only on the intellectual development they begin to develop problems in the vital problems in the physical because it's a lopsided development now again when this new possibility will appear just as the mind appeared when the animal began to lose its tremendous vitality the superman appears when this extreme rational analytical faculty the mother puts it like this of which man is so legitimately and yet so arrogantly proud of this will be dropped progressively what will appear in its place is a hidden intuition of things many of these spearheads uh, spearheading ideas that we see today actually if you we look at it how they came into existence they they came very intuitively and if we ask the scientists they will tell us that it was not that they analyzed and thought and these ideas changed the world they are really changing the world they came like a leap of intuition not even a leap of faith and subsequently they were taken up they were found to be true and they were being experimented new possibilities opened up so on one side this extreme rational analytical frame in which human beings live actually this broke somewhere in the 60s we know that how uh, many children of that generation revolted against a very very rational analytical norm in which we were living and they broke free from that in every sphere um, this uh, came up with you know the pop music here and Uh, the youth crisis elsewhere but this extremely rational frame analytical frame now this breaking free was the first sign that it's not enough that we simply remain mentalized creatures there was a deeper intuition of life that began to appear now how did this deeper intuition express itself it came in the field of psychology it came in the field of sociology in field of art and expressed itself through songs through ideas that the world is a unity now actually it's very strange like how this thought has come and it's catching up the popular imagination of the race and probably if you really look at the actual history this thought came first and the net revolution came afterwards very often we talk about the net revolution followed by the that today you know we can look at it like this no the thought some of the songs even predating 60s came up with this idea that this whole world is a unity and subsequently we see that computers came and much later the net revolution came the idea comes and events and circumstances are molded by that now this opens new doors of understanding we are not finished product the moment we understand it it opens new doors unlike the animal creation which is a finished product we are not finished products so we are not fixed to type in animals they are fixed to type we can't change an elephant my favorite example into a non vegetarian 
tiger. Try it. Animal will throw you, maul you, but he'll not eat you. He knows that man is not worth the trouble. <laughs> he has not read about books on vegetarianism, but he knows. Try making, turning a tiger into a vegetarian and see what happens. One day, you are, the, you are running the risk. People who try taming animals, they know it very well. They know and sometimes at great expense, they have learned that however much you may tame and, uh, a tiger or a lion and keep him in a fence, that instinct is there and when it will erupt, we do not know. People have learned at the, sometimes at the loss of a limb or at the loss of somebody's life. Because animal has found his adaptation. The human being has not found his adaptation. This should not disconcert us. In the morning we were referring that you know man is an abnormal. Thank God. So he can evolve. Often when it is said, oh this transient world, this imperfect world, very good, we can evolve. If it was fixed into the perfection of the human type, we will have no scope of change. Precisely because it's changing, it's transient, therefore everything can change and we can participate in the change. And this is not just a theoretical thing. This not just in the mind. Individuals can change in marked ways and even separate themselves from other individuals. It's, it's known. I mean, human beings can turn, as we know, from uh, non-vegetarians to vegetarian overnight. They can give up sweets simply because they have diabetes or even without it, simply because human beings have that possibility. But even at the most physical level, we can change. And that's the beautiful thing about human beings, human consciousness and the human body. Sometime back, we used to believe, it was just a belief in the scientific world, that once your body, like especially about the neurons, once they develop fixity, before, you know, we see, we, we see from the embryo to the developed adult human beings, from plasticity we are moving towards fixity. The primary cell is basically capable of differentiating into any type. That's what cloning is about. But as it advances and specializes, it loses the ability. But the beauty is that this loss is nothing but a habit. Any cell in the human body can recover the function of any other cell. I mean, there are instances where people can actually see from the skin. There was a television show actually where a girl, 15, she was blinded. And, you know, she could read everything. And this was, a, you know, open to everyone. And she was asked, how did you do it? She was not a yogi. She said, I don't know. I am born like that. It sounded like an anomaly. Sri speaks about it passingly when he refers to the mother. The mother can see what is behind. She has eyes all over her. This may sound like, you know, that Sri is simply... Uh, saying something fantastic but mother herself has alluded when she would suddenly speak about something happening behind her there is a whole anecdote and uh, Champaklal asked mother how did you know? she said you know I have eyes at my back I see everything 
This is a new possibility. Something which is possible in human beings. This is a specialized way. All specialization is at the expense of something. But that is always behind and a new possibility can emerge if that consciousness withdraws from a particular organ. It can express itself in another organ. Much of training for those who have lost their speech and who have lost their neurological faculty, we have, who have suffered from paralysis, we have doctors here, is based on this new concept of neuroplasticity. That things are not fixed as we believe them, things are changing. And we are dealing with a machine which is a living machine. It's very unfortunate that thanks to us doctors, we treat the body as a dead body. The living body is treated like a dead body. Now what I mean by this is, uh, just as a machine has a problem, what do we do? We call up the mechanic. Uh, he comes and fixes it, programs something, or we carry that box to the mechanic shop and he repairs it. The machine has no say in it. That's exactly the same way we treat the body, like a dead body. I have a problem, I ring up the doctor, the doctor comes, does something, puts in a chemical, does a procedure and we recover. For a change, we should try to talk to the body. Look, I have a problem. Can you help me? My legs are, my, my, I can talk to my knee. You know, if you pain, every time I walk to the ashram, it makes it so difficult. Why don't you participate in the joy? So knee will tell us, what? You never talked to me like this. For 45 years, you dragged me to all kinds of horrible places. Suddenly you are talking to me? Yes, yes, we learnt it in the integral yoga retreat. Talk to the body. When we take a bath, we can talk to the body. Look, I have to spend one more day. The moment we have a symptom appearing anywhere, we are frightened. We are frightened actually. We are so full of fear. Fear of everything. Morning we spoke about fear of God. We have fear of death. We have fear of fellow creatures. We have fear of our own self. That's why one of the best prayer is God save me from myself. The first creature that we need to save ourselves from. Man, this human creature is his own worst foe. Should have been those lines. This human creature is his own worst foe. Whereas if we talk to the body, look, I am experiencing a symptom. Are you okay? We can tell our head. If the heart begins to beat faster and there is a pain, we can just tell it, be quiet. You don't have to create so much of noise. I have heard you. Now allow the divine to act. Why don't you open yourself to the divine? The heart will say, what? I am having a myocardial infarction? No, the mind says that. All the blood vessels will relax. They will start opening to another kind of consciousness, another domain. I am not saying that one will live forever in this way. Forever is, forever and never are, you know, vital enjoys it, but only when there is a transformation. But to start with, we can do it. We can push things very far. If we, And this is nothing but the mind opening to a greater light and becoming a channel. Nothing else. The mind trusts that light and makes the body a channel. That way, this we can become not only a living laboratory, but we can become conscious collaborators. Every time there is an illness, so-called illness, if we can look at it as a passage, 
that look there is something within in fact ayurveda physicians look at it like that process of purification when one has a fever why do we think that we are going to die because there is a big flu in the city fever is there precisely to help us get rid of those organisms of the flu my body knows they cannot thrive beyond a certain temperature of course i am not saying if it is 104 plus don't take a paracetamol but just wait it's a living body and this living body has another possibility not only to the mind it can open to other realms of consciousness the human body has many things inside it which it which are yet to emerge we have not explored all the possibilities simple thing we invoke peace where do we feel the peace is it only in the mind for those who invoke peace have been in the habit of invoking peace will find how it can enter like a wave right from the head first into the nerves and everything relaxes peace 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 into the very body stuff what is disease that kind of extreme agitation restlessness going on inside the body if we ask it to become peaceful it will set right many things inside us many things the use of medication will be largely restricted to certain immediate emergency situations and of course medical companies won't like it but i am sure insurance companies will enjoy unless somebody comes with a great idea of insuring peace also <laughs> that every maybe you don't know you know everything sells so we may have some kind of an investment scheme that from childhood you pay 50 dollars and you will be taught how to have peace so when you are grown up you get the returns you never know you know somebody may come with this brilliant idea i'm not showing this idea of course <laughs> but we don't need it it can open to the healing forces there are some very interesting examples when uh, well since amaldais left the physical body and he himself said this was an experience related to him how when he took mother has recounted this in in her collected works how when he took a drug three times its dosage i mean three times its uppermost dosage means a drug has a lethal dose uh, there is a therapeutic dose and a lethal dose so lethal dose would kill you and he took three times the dosage and then he describes how he was drifting into what he knew as inevitable death and suddenly he felt oh my god i am going to die okay at that point he just surrendered himself to mother he said i give myself to you whatever may happen to my body you i give myself to you he survived that when amalda asked the mother that can one come out of even heart attacks like that mother said yes my child everything is possible if you remain calm you can get rid of many many problems we know that amalda left his body at recently maybe less than 2 weeks at the age of 106 and a half and uh, this event took place almost 40 years back and there are amazing number of such examples she opened these possibilities in humanity she was not trying to show miracles miracles are uh, 
only for some people but she was opening possibilities there is another very interesting possibility in fact two three of them which come to mind of how the body uh, can really work out a cure if it has trust in something and how there are higher powers and energies of which we are not aware one example is of uh, prithvi singh nahar and we know how he used to um, type out shirobindo's works uh, and um, he had his eyes were very weak look at the amazing thing his one weak organ was the eye and he was told that he will grow blind very fast the doctors had put this predicament and he had come and told the mother that this what i am told and mother said never mind so he was given the work of typing can we imagine that you know only divine can do this kind of a mischief and though he kept on losing sight little by little till his last he would see and it was to lie to this extent that if there was any doubt about anything which shirobindo has written people would go to prithvi singh he was the authority on that and sometimes he would put it so close to the eyes and run it like this and he will know so this kind of a thing almost 30 40 years past the age when he would have lost his eye so he describes an event when he had a heart attack and he was lying down with extreme agony and pain and he suddenly felt that it's too severe for him to bear and he called mother suddenly he sees two twins tall human beings look alike who came and they were carrying a bag of herbs on his back this is recounted in prithvi singh nahar's letters so you know it's uh, you can go back to the source and check it right from there so he saw these two tall beings who were you know twins and carrying some herbs on their back and he could sense that they want to do something on his body so prithvi singh nahar looking at them told them inwardly look i do not know who you are if you have come from the mother you can do what you want but if you have not come from her then i bid you to go away look at the kind of surrender he had he felt that they have come sometime probably to help him but he in spite of that he said if i get help i get help only from her if you have not come from her go away then they looked and smiled it's described it very graphically they looked at each other and smiled they took out took some herb out of that this he experienced suddenly as if they entered into his heart through their fist and he experienced that this is obviously a soul experience of another dimension altogether that they were massaging his heart this is what he felt and within a few moments his pain was gone everything was gone and he recovered so this he writes as a letter to the mother where they the ashwins we know in the vedas ashwin kumars are the gods of longevity they are the physicians of the gods they grant health they are as twin riders on the horse that is how the vedic image goes and he wrote to the mother mother said yes of course they were the ashwin kumars they came in response to your prayer now what kind of a surgery was this what herbs they took out there was obviously an interface between the subtle and the physical and the material how did they actually thrust their hand inside his chest without any surgery now we know about open heart surgeries and closed heart surgeries this was a subtle kind of surgery they put in what they really did 
and he recovered out of a heart attack. Now this whole process, there are possibilities which at some point the Vedic Rishis were exploring. These gods were not just, you know, their figment of imagination. They were real beings. They were real powers, energies, entities, forces. And it's possible that human beings, we as human beings can open to this another level of determinism, another kind of action upon us. But naturally, we as human race have to pass through a period where we have to disabuse our minds of this idea that I am a dead body. Only death completes the final act. I am only a mind and the body is a log of wood that I must carry every time and something someone has to do. This I'll close this uh, before I turn to Savitri with a real example from in more modern context of uh, what we may call as a secular example. So this is a story which is recounted in, uh, in, in fact, two books. One of the books is Dr. Bernie Siegel's uh, Love, Medicine and Miracles. And there's another book which is um, where this uh, by Dr. Walsh, if I have not mis- mistaken, where he, no, Dr. Andrew Vale, where he recounts the story of a cancer patient whose cancer had spread to the fourth stage. I mean, we know it's a terminal phase and since there was nothing much to do, you know, she had, she was a written off case, then there was an experimentation going on with psychedelic drugs. So the doctor asked her, would, would you be willing to enroll yourself in the program? Because anyways, you know, she is facing imminent death. So probably she would be willing and she said, okay. She was carrying a baby in, in her womb. So she enrolled herself to the program and she, uh, in the state of psychedelic drug under that influence, she went into a state of hypnosis and she started ex- having some altered experience. At that point of time, the doctor who was um, um, talking to her in a state of hypnosis suddenly asked her this crucial question. Do you want to live? Rather he asked her, don't you want to live? You have a baby inside you. And suddenly she said yes. And later on she has described what she experienced during that period. She says, during that period, for the first time I experienced that I really want to live. Till then she was written off. She had almost decided that she is going to die. She suddenly developed in herself a will to live. Then there was a kind of dialogue which is really not so important. But as she came out of that, uh, that state of consciousness, she decided that she is going to change her life. So first thing she did was, she left her husband with whom there was a lot of problems going on. She changed a job. She always wanted to change her job and she was not having the courage to do it. She changed her job. She um, took up some field, I am forgetting. She changed her lifestyle. She went into meditation, yoga techniques, etc. And eventually, 20 years down the line, she was actually treating cancer patients to recover. Now, what was that crucial trigger? The mother speaks of the will to live. It was this shift from the will to die to the will to live. Lifestyle change, therapies, all these were just instrumental. What really is death? Death is a will to change. 
it is not uh, something which we are so scared when we want to change have another kind of experience let me look at life afresh and new then we change but we can change in the same life we don't have to wait for death to take up a new body to be born in some other country to change we can change inside we come back to this principle with which we started all crisis is a means to propel us towards a change and that is how this wisdom works and there are deeper possibilities within the body and if we can help if we can make the body open and receptive much of physical education is for that in the ashram there is so much stress on physical education it's amazing those who come i mean it strikes you like something very very strange because normally in ashram we are taught meditations and what is this ashram where nobody teaches you meditation but 4 o'clock and you will see everybody in their kitty caps and shorts and most enthusiastically they don't go so enthusiastically for the evening meditation but they are all running to the playground and sports ground what is being worked out she says the body there is a lot more possibility but it should learn to open to the higher forces it should learn to open to a greater consciousness it should become not an unwilling but a willing and conscious collaborator in the change so we'll stop with this allow me just 3 4 minutes with savitri this incidentally is the 60th year when savitri came into existence physically once again it was given to man in the form of a body of word body 1951 saw the completion of savitri in one single book something had been published half of it before around 1950 the other half after shurabindo withdrew from the physical scene so uh um, this is the 60th year and so you know we can read it what is it platinum jubilee or diamond jubilee but with savitri every year is a diamond jubilee <clears throat> this is about savitri has to change the law of death and everything else that it involves she mast in her own self she found her high recourse the solution lies within us she matched with the iron law her sovereign right her single will opposed the cosmic rule so this will within us which is a trigger of course what that will is maybe some other uh, in some other context we'll talk about this not the superficial wish of a man but the will that is burning like a fire inside to stay the wheels of doom this greatness rose she faced the engines of the universe a heart stood in the way of the driving wheels its stark conventions met the flame of a soul a magic leverage suddenly is caught that moves the veiled ineffables timeless will a prayer a master act a king idea can link man's strength to a transcendent force then miracle is made the common rule so this is the thing we can that point of contact between 
the consciousness embedded in the body and the divine. That is what is necessary. One mighty deed can change the course of things. A lonely thought becomes omnipotent. All now seems nature's masked machinery. An endless servitude to material rule and long determination's rigid chain. Her firm and changeless habits aping law and all the claim of man's free human will. What we see today is everything has a cause and effect, cause and effect. But actually it's not cause and effect, this is simply an evolutionary habit. Because that's how it has evolved so far. But this can be changed, must be changed, will be changed. That's the assurance Shurabindu gives. This adaptation, this equilibrium has to be broken and in its place new equilibrium come. And when it is broken, diseases appear because that old equilibrium is broken. And a new is going to come. We see again this idea has gone into the mind of the race that it is trying new ways. Of course, there would be a washout generation, maybe a few generations, which will try to work out and nothing will work. Many doctors will say it is a new age mumbo jumbo. All right, doesn't matter. But eventually, this very idea by its force will impress itself and suddenly the body will begin to open to something greater and all the fixed determinisms, they will change. He too is a machine amid machines. This is what we are taught. A piston brain pumps out the shapes of thought. We are taught, oh, this is a neuronal activity. And of course, uh, I keep taking a dig at it that if man is simply a bundle of neurons, then what is the validity of anything that anybody says, including the scientist? Because after all, it's a babble of the neurons. A beating heart cuts out emotions modes. There is no love. But when the heart beats faster, you say, I feel love, joy, fear. When it is quiet, you feel, you say, I am feeling calm. There is no real emotion. It's simply the heartbeat. This is what we are taught by the uh, materialistic doctrine. But there is another way to look at it. There are experiments like that where, uh, I mean, I will not go into the details, that the emotion, the feeling is primary and the physical event is secondary. An insentient energy fabricates a soul. The gospel of Hiranyakashup or the gospel of the materialist or the figure of the world reveals the signs of a tight chance repeating her old steps in circles around matters binding posts. A random series of inept events to which reason lends elusive sense is here. This is what we are told. There is no real purpose. Your mind is finding reasons and explaining it away. But there is no real purpose. It is all the play of mind because reason wants it. This is what we are told. But finally this greater possibility. But wisdom comes and vision grows within. We started with this blindness. So a time comes when wisdom comes and this sight, the inner sight is released from us and vision grows within. Then nature's instrument crowns himself, her king. Right now nature plays with us as people play football. But then we become king of nature. 
he feels his witnessing self and conscious power his soul steps back and sees the light supreme a godhead stands behind the brute machine uh before we break off at night um actually you know we need to have questions very rightly i think chandrakanthai also pointed out i do not know what should be the format at night we can have question answers so that we are all awake and feel engaged <laughs> or if there are quick questions we can take it i mean i really don't know what would be the best way actually we have a little bit of time before this session was supposed to be over at 4 so if so if If somebody has some, some questions, questions we, we can, can pass the mic around and Yeah. Yes, please. Grains of sand and how they are universes in themselves. So, you know, Mother and Sri Aurobindo also talks about evil forces and how they, you know, act on us. so on those evil forces also part of uh, you know the ultimate force yes <clears throat> they derive themselves from it and they serve a purpose and the purpose is to make us stronger and more determined let me give you number of examples from real life events there was a person in the ashram whom who would you know when people would come if they heard him they would really feel like running away so so mother was asked about it mother said well it means those who will stay are really sincere so you see they are in their original sense instruments of sincerity and fallen into this sphere is a whole metaphysics behind it the fallen angels becoming the dark forces it is there in the bible it is there in the indian scriptures and fallen into this fear instead of being instruments of sincerity they become adverse forces so they become like sensors who are all the time pointing out sitting on our back at doing a wrong thing you're doing a wrong thing guilt depression no not possible full of doubt god not for you you are not ready you are not capable now what has happened that originally they came into existence for this purpose to keep man's soul on the straight road but now instead they touch him and tie him in their own mesh so this is one of the obstacles that everyone who goes walks this spiritual path has to encounter we at the mental level can understand moral law and ethical law we cannot understand something that transcends moral and ethics the truth and the false in the divine sense uh, shubhendra says something very interesting he says the superman transcends the divine transcends good and bad the duality he transcends evil and you know goodness he transcends virtue and vice but it does not transcend truth and falsehood truth is truth and falsehood is falsehood 
So if we really look at it from that, it's not that in the divine consciousness, you know, they both meet. So if we look at it from that perspective, then the same truth which is meant to point us and keep us to the straight path turns into a falsehood and we begin to mistake spirituality with always doing the right thing from a strictly moral perspective. And the flip side of this is after a while there are people, I am aware of people who have even come sometimes for counseling, spiritual. Counseling spiritual persons is a chapter in itself which is yet to be written. You know, people can develop neurosis of its own kind. And they begin to get locked into, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Oh my God, I did a wrong thing. I am doing the wrong thing because all the time the sensors are sitting on the back. One can actually see them with these eyes. Occult vision if you have. Then look, these are two little, you know, what is picturized with the you know, tail of the devil in the pictures. This is more or less like that. And they are little tiny creatures who are constantly filling you with guilt. Now every time we have guilt, we cut ourselves off from grace. So the mother says, the problem with these guys is that what they do not know is about grace. They do not know that there is a grace which overrides everything. That is why we see the three secrets of the Gita. What is the greatest secret? The last secret which he says, Rahasyam Sarvat Guhyataram, the secret of secrets. He says, Sarva Dharman Parityajya Mamekam Sharnam Vraja Aham Tva Sarva Papebhyo Moksha Ishyami Mahasucha Abandon all dharmas. Here dharmas is of course all the ways of being and becoming. He is not saying that become adharmi. He is not saying that. So the language is very subtle and profound, all spiritual literature. Abandon all dharmas and take refuge in me alone. Here me is the divine consciousness. He has manifested as Krishna, he has manifested as Christ, he has manifested as Buddha. When Buddha says, Buddham Sharnam Gashami, he has manifested as Shurabindu and the mother. So the divine consciousness, that time Krishna is speaking, on behalf and as the divine incarnate, abandon all dharmas and take refuge in me alone. I shall deliver thee from all sin and evil. Do not fear, do not grieve. So these instruments are required as long as man is complacent. Now we go back to shift this example to the practical field. Why terrorist bombings? Well, it's very unfortunate that unless that takes place, we do not awaken to the need for change. We do not even awaken to the need for a greater... I mean, on the other side, because of these terrorist bombings, the world is suddenly coming together. Fight for terror. We have a common enemy. Countries which would never come together and they were needed. Like in the American context, the mother has said it's it's necessary for the new creation that India and America come together. She has said this when long back. And she also said that around 2007, around this time, they will begin to come together. Now, this is not happening. She has said that, well, you know, it's like, um, if you really see paradoxically, those whom we call terrorists were, you know, fed on money which went from here. But the paradox of it is, when this rebounds is back, when this hits and hurts everywhere, it's hurting in India, it's hurting in Russia, it's hurting in America, hurting in Africa, suddenly all over the world, in, in Britain, in France, people are coming together and uniting against a whole worldview which is so small, so ugly, so obscure, 
so ignoble and you know even that fight is worth a fight so this is how these this evil works to cons- or conspires like shrivinda puts in savitri eventually love and death both conspire towards one great end so they it is allowed to exist because it has a role to play and the mother says the day their role will be over which means the day man is ready to walk the sunlit path without the need of this darkness they will vanish we have to do nothing about it and that's why for the sadhak she has given a very simple advice when you meet the adversary she says laugh at his face and go past him we can try this in real life also if somebody is trying to tease you laugh this is this will make the person feel very miserable <laughs> you're not getting angry i am trying to make you angry well i know your game laugh so that laughter and go past him is there he is doing his job maybe a bad job maybe a good job but we go past and then that is the path given to us don't be caught up and that catching up and laughing is inside every time a thought comes oh i am so bad i am a sinner i am miserable know that the adversary is at play oh there is no hope for me there is hope for everybody except me i am the outcast person god doesn't love me anymore not only my husband and wife don't love me my parents don't love me even god doesn't love me so adversary's net is complete that time say what am i am i so important unto myself even if i am the most nut case in the world he has tackled many nut cases much worse than me surely he can change me trust grace trust in the grace gets us rid of the adversary trust in the grace opens the short and sunlit path trust in the grace throws away or disarms the hostile forces they run away miles from somebody who has trust in the grace that they cannot tackle that they cannot negotiate yes yeah see arindo use his yoga power in trafalgar war to win british hmm. second time he used yoga power for the speech of churchill hmm. and the third time mother used his yoga power to tell hitler to go to russia hmm. if i these people have a great powers why both people did not use their yoga power to break india in 1947 hmm. okay even before that they have also used yoga power to uh, drive away the chinese when they were in indian territory just to add to that Uh, there there are many instances of use of yoga power if you want to put it and one of the classical instances where chinese had entered and invaded far and deep the mother literally told them go away go away and they turned unexpectedly from jorhat i have gone to that place so and then she said they they were more receptive yeah. to you know run away now the thing is that's where the whole catch comes when the yoga power is used there has to be receptivity churchill was a receptive instrument imagine if churchill was not receptive when freedom fight took place there were beautiful instruments which were very open and receptive so it is important again we come to the same thing that when god has a play there has to be an openness and receptivity at the end of the other instrument the nuclear energy can flow but 
the plug-in point and the wires have to be ready. Now, if the instrument is not ready, what is the other way? There are instances where they have used yoga power and yet it has, it is yet to find its full fruition. Like world unity is one of the dreams of Shirobindo. He has used the yoga power. So that will have its fruit if immediately human beings are not receptive. The crash and clash of circumstances that will make us receptive. So we come back to why the terrorist bombing and all that if we don't directly respond. Having said that, Shirobindo has also said that he has not used his supramental force anywhere, usually in the world play, uh, not anywhere, but usually he has used the overmind force. And the reason he said there is no instrument which is ready for it. And, you know, if he were to use, let's say, the supramental consciousness, probably people will go off their head because they won't be able to contain it. So he has used the overmind force and that is one of the forces in the play, even though it is the highest in the plane of ignorance, yet it is one of the forces and the other possibilities do remain. So he has to allow us and he wants us to evolve to a point. Take a situation where nobody is willing for an, another instance of Indo-Pak unity. This where we are talking about. I mean, they have talked about Indo-Pak unity. Nobody wants Indo-Pak unity. Why? Because there is fear, suspicion, hatred, everything from both sides. Now, unless that climate is ready, as they say, the climate must be ready for talks, the climate must be ready for the divine action directly. And by some kind of a magic, the divine unites them without a change of hearts. Can we imagine what kind of a predicament there will be within the, you know, the Indian subcontinent? We can be horrified. The whole people have to be ready. So what divine is doing? A strategy to make us ready? Making us play cricket matches. What has cricket got to do with yoga? Very much. Cricket is uniting. Strange. I mean, people go through the agency of cricket, they are going to each other and they are beginning to find, yes, both sides, basically people are very nice. Cinema. Cinemas. Yeah. So, cultural exchanges. So, divine is slowly making inroads and he is preparing. And in whatever way we can contribute to that, like cultural exchanges is a wonderful way, then the climate will be ready for the direct divine action. But what is true is that this will be. Now, for instance, they may use very drastic means. The mother has said how the unity will come about. She said people were not receptive. Shirobindo did send the emissary. That was a direct example of yoga force. Within the India, well, Churchill is such an uh, open instrument. But look what even people like Gandhi had to say. Post-dated check when Cripps proposal went, Shirobindo asked to accept. Well, if humanity is not receptive, we have to go through the field of crashing circumstances. But it will be, that is for sure, because such is the decree that has gone. How it will be? Mother has said, initially, maybe through the war, but now she has said, Pakistan will break up into certain parts and then reunite. Many times they have not spoken about the means, and there is a reason for that. When Shubhinda was asked, why don't you tell us when the supermind will descend and everything that will happen in the process, he said, the moment I speak, it fixes a possibility. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to keep the field open to play either ways. This happens this way. Supermind works like that. The moment I utter a word, the moment I speak, it fixes a possibility. It's just like, you know, when uh, we go to a doctor and he fixes a label on a disease, it becomes like a mantra, a negative mantra. So also, he would not fix this way or that way. Though he has foreseen it. 
but he has not spoken about it. So that's why the journey is long and sometimes through terrorism and bomb bomb blasts. Uh, uh, yeah, ju- just I'll just take. Uh, uh, no, no, no. There are no police questions. My daughter asked me that uh, about the evil forces and uh, we say we always talk about that that they are working and they are working bad on us. Where do they come from? What are they? Where do, which world do they stay? Very simple. Tell her where does the shadow comes from. It comes from whatever obstructs the light. So, light is there. Without light, there would be no shadow. It would be it's whatever it would be. But equally, through an obstruction to light in the process of creation, the evil forces, what we call it, evil is not a very good term because, you know, it, it's a very judgmental connotation. But, Falsehood. Falsehood is truth which reverses itself. That's why falsehood is something very interesting. It is not only that which opposes truth, it is something which imitates truth. It is something which is inverts truth. Uh, Just uh, one moment, like, uh, you know, when many people find a parallel in Darwin and Shurabindo. Well, Darwinian truth is an inversion truth. It is not exactly what Shervinda is saying. It is an inversion of that. When Freud spoke about the inner force, it was an inversion of things. And yet the divine uses this inversion to make inroads into humanity. So, um, in the play, these forces, you can tell her, have come from the one. Because, what is the age? It will all depend on that. Because, you know, the message has to be communicated according to the... Yeah? Okay, fine. Then you can explain the whole thing, you know, like how what we call as darkness is an involution of light. When light conceals itself within itself, like a black hole, that is darkness. And this is required to create a ground for all the colors to emerge. So that is how you can tell the story of creation, which mother has said, that how everything went into creation. Maybe what I'll do is tonight I will, in the Vedic legions, I'll take up this story of creation. And that story you can tell uh, this child. And that story is such which applies at all age groups. Alright, so I'll, we'll talk about that story. That yeah. I would like to say. Yeah. There were four Asuras basic. Ah, really. Three are finished by mother. One is still remaining. There is no nation. About that, I would like to say that. Yeah, we will talk about it maybe at night. Yes, so about... Yeah, yeah, that four fellow will go, I'm sure. <laughs> Mother will see to it. <laughs> I have a sneaky feeling he has accepted. <laughs> Didi, you were saying something. Yes. I have a question that uh, we have a Shakti, which is the uh, Which Shakti? Asurik Shakti. Asurik Shakti. But how about within India? Nowadays, we are seeing this type of Asura Shakti. Asurik Shakti, uh, which is like corruption and, ah. uh, and uh, which is... Uh, okay, so I got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good question. Very good question, actually. Look, um, where does the Asura go? Where there is Yagna going on? In the Indian context, there is a story that wherever there is Yagna, in Savitri there is a line, wherever there is Karvan of light, there they intercept. So, these Asuras are smarter, you know, than us. They know where the transformation is working itself out with rapidity. 
they know which is the land if it rises it can really undertake the divine work in in an intensity which is never known before so they are bound to attack that and if of course uh, without making it an absolute rule if one is too much attacked by these forces that means there is a great possibility concealed so precisely because india is the land for a great transfiguration which will be worked out mother and shobinda have spoken of it they have made it very clear india's rise is necessary not for the sake of india itself so that it becomes a superpower among other nation industrially and militarily mother shobinda said if that is the path india takes it will go the way of the decline eventually because it's not meant for that all this will be added to it but india rises so that the world can rise and find its soul so the very purpose that you know india must establish itself but who will listen to a weak and decrepit nation you know it must establish itself in every way so when shivinder was speaking uh, seeking freedom for india it says spiritual freedom and then he says all else will be added to us but he also says that unless we are politically free how are we going to really exercise this immense spiritual freedom that india can send and give as a message to the world so india is being attacked has been attacked attacked precisely because it is the land of a great work but how i look at it is another way also that all these fellows the asuras with their all kinds of shakti whatever damned shakti they have had taken this uh, played you know the net very uh, laid the net very wide but now you see how the awakening is taking place even raja is behind jail and all it seems the jail has become like a parliament house you know the whole everybody from the parliament is in the jail <laughs> so you wonder <laughs> so it's something amazing so in a way uh, all that was corrupt and rotten and perverse first hinted now exposed third compulsion to change now this compulsion is coming from where it is coming from every side from the average indian through newspaper through media sometimes for purely personal interest you see what is god's strategy we were talking about russia and uh, you know germany when asuras don't listen to gods you know what what the divine does makes two asuras fight between themselves so in india one asura is the ruling party the other asura is opposition <laughs> opposition will see to it that all these scams of the ruling party are brought to the forefront the ruling party will see to it that all the ills and evils of the opposition are exposed and through all this a day will come when both will become chastened humbled and eventually from within the change will take place look we have eaten enough let's now give and then irrespective of whether there is ruling or opposition they will come together this is the cleansing process painful passage but very clearly a process and the changes well round the corner